and Pennsylvania and New York and Michigan and all of America. And I am not going to let companies move to other countries firing their employees along the way without consequence. Not going to happen anymore. We will be a country of generosity and warmth. I am with you, I will fight for you, and I will win for you. We will make America strong again. We will make America proud again. We will make America safe again. And we will make America great again. God bless you and good night. I love you. We love you, we love you too. We love you. We love you too. I'm going to have to stop doing that because then I mess up my makeup for the, <laughs> for the video. Oh, hey guys. Um, yeah, he is our hero. No doubt. No doubt about it. Um, today. Um, if you're new to the channel, I am Red Pill or I'm Melissa. You can call me either one. And we uh, explore what's going on in the light of God's word um, and Q posts. And we look at, you know, the truth that is coming out. And um, more and more as we just, this is the day of great awakening. What that means from the Bible is that, that we're all feeling it, that we just have to know what's going on. And we really just never, maybe we felt like this for a little while, but not like this and that we just can't stop. And we have to tell people what we learn and, and, and we're all feeling this all over the world. It's really amazing. And then the Lord, and my channel is really about not really deciphering Q posts as specifically as much as it is seeing it in the light of God's word, because the Lord has promised this for thousands of years and it's so important that we know that because otherwise you get tangled up oh look at the bar investing you know all the, the bar testimony and you get all worried about this and that and when you realize this is the lord this is the beginning of this brand new day that has been promised we've been waiting on it we didn't know exactly what it's gonna look like but we're going to win there's no doubt about it there's no two ways about it um, for years, you know, the Lord had told us that there would be many, many difficult days and we would lose, 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 but then there would be a day when we would win, 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 and that's where we are. It really, truly is. If you uh, are new to the channel, I hope you'll join us and subscribe. We pray every time, and that is the key because these are spiritual forces. As Q has very clearly told us, this is a spiritual battle, and we have to fight in the spiritual battle, in the in the spiritual realm, and, and pray. So I wanted to, oh, I've got so many great things to share with you today and about who President Trump is and, and to see this is huge. This is bigger than what we can imagine. It really is, as Q has said, biggest. And um, I'm, I'm going to have to go fast. Um, so I'm just going to skim this, the surface. 
but um, at least this will get, and I'll have all the links below so that you can go in and research this for yourself if you are interested, which I think you will be. All right, so this is my YouTube, my, my Twitter. So when I'm not able to make a video, I post on my Twitter. And I did, uh, this is my book that came out. Don't be afraid if you're afraid of the Battle of Armageddon. Do not, it's where we're taking down the beast. I've also got one, a new one that I just put out. It's the same one, but not as scary of a, of a cover. It's called the, uh, QAnon and a thousand years of peace. So um, I put it on there as absolutely cheaply as possible that, that for us to be able to have this, but we're mostly trying to get this the information out. How can, how can we get the truth out? Because the, we've been scared to pieces so by, by all these forces. And I put this out today. I thought you guys would like this. I thought you guys would. Like, they used to love Trump, didn't they? Now they hate him. What are they guilty of? Well, they're guilty of something's fishy, right? Everybody should be like, mm, I don't believe it. All right, so here we go. Um, I want, this is, um, I, okay, I don't normally show little kid videos, but I can't find another one that's better. Okay, so the history, the backstory of this stone, I'm going to talk about this amazing stone that you may have never even heard of, but you need to hear about it because this is huge, okay? It's basically the coronation stone. And it's called the, um, even I heard um, uh, Yahweh's stone. It's, in other words, God's stone. And it's it's been passed down from generation to generation. Actually, England looked at all their wealth and all the things that they, that they have acquired and that they have possession of. And they said this was their number one possession. Number one. And it's just a block of stone. So let's find out what's the story about this. Okay, I know this is a kid's video, but um, all right, so this is Jacob and his mom. Okay, so Jacob's brother was Esau. Esau was a bad dude. Jacob wants the blessing of God. He wants the blessing that had come from his grandfather and his father to flow through him. And so Esau's ticked off because he got the blessing when it, and Esau believed it deserved, he deserved it. I'm not going to go into that whole story, but the bottom line, Esau got everything he wanted. He got cattle and sheep and all the rest of it. He got all the stuff, the stuff, but Jacob wanted the blessing of God. Okay. So in this little story, you know, he's leaving because Esau is going to destroy him. He's going to kill him. And so he's got to leave and he's gone from his family for years and years and years. But even Abraham in the book of Joshua, it says that he wants, uh, Jacob to receive the blessing. Okay. Even though he was the younger and he did receive it. So interesting that happens actually a lot of times. All right. So I'm just going to show you just a little bit about what's happened in this story. This is the story of Jacob's ladder. If you haven't heard that. Rebecca waved to Jacob, tears streaming down her cheeks. Jacob traveled for several days walking during the day and sleeping by the roadside at night. One day, he was feeling very tired and decided to rest for some time. This looks like a good place to sleep for a while. I will continue my journey after I am rested. Jacob saw a large stone nearby on which he lay his head and fell asleep. And what a dream he had! He saw a very, very long stairway, which started from the ground and reached up to heaven. There were angels going up and down the stairs, and there, at the very top, was God. 
And then God spoke to Jacob. Jacob, this land shall belong to you and to your descendants. Take good care of it. When Jacob woke up, he couldn't believe that God had actually spoken to him. My Lord has spoken to me. My Lord has spoken to me. I feel so blessed. This place shall be called Bethel, the house of the Lord. This stone shall be the altar in this house of worship. Jacob then again continued on his journey. Okay, so it didn't tell in the story that he actually poured what little oil. Remember, I told you that a couple weeks ago, if you if you saw that video. Um, he poured what little oil he had onto this stone. So I never really understood the significance of this until now. Until now, I knew it was a great story. And I, I probably, I think in the back of my mind, I thought, well, I might be missing something here. Okay, but this stone that he's he's sleeping on it, it's basically the stone on which the Lord will, uh, the, the, the blessings of God will ascend and descend there and, and God will interact with the world through this stone. And you're going to see here how he did that. Now he couldn't carry it. It's like 300 pounds, 400 pounds. It's really big. So he couldn't carry it. But later on when he, when he had his family built up, he came back and got this. He nobody's going to go and get that stone. Cause it's, you know, it was really going to be hard to pick up, but he knew when he went back there, he was going to get the stone and uh, he carried it with them from then on. Okay. So, all right. So that was his, they call it Jacob's pillar. They also call it his pillow, right? Like pillar, pillar and pillow. All right, so that's him sleeping on there and having this vision. And that he's called it Beth El, which is Beth is house and El is the Lord. Beth El, so the house of the Lord. So he is, you know, this is, this is the doorway to heaven. In other words, now he's taken the stone. That is his connection to heaven, to, to the Lord, okay? Now, so there he is pouring the oil on the stone, what little oil he had, he poured on the stone and um, as, a, as, a, as an anointing it and uh, as, a, as a blessing for the stone, that's not, it's not a typical stone, okay? So fast forward, obviously it got passed from him to his son, Joseph, they, all this time they're in Egypt. Now fast forward to Moses and he's bringing the people out of the, the land of Egypt and they need water and here is a picture i know i showed some of you this on the on the video uh a few weeks ago but there's the water remember i showed you the water coming out of the rock i thought it was just any old rock but it was not it was this stone it was this J jacob's pillar jacob's pillow the stone of destiny the stone later on it's gonna be the stone of scone all right so uh, water is not just coming out of the ground. It's coming out of this rock. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 and 4, all of them ate the same spiritual food and all of them drank the same spiritual water, for they drank from the spiritual rock that traveled with them. And that rock was Christ. That was him with them symbolically in this rock. Okay, and when Moses actually hit this rock, it says that uh, the Lord would stand. The Lord was actually standing on the rock. Actually, let me pause it. I'm going to go get that verse for you real quick before I forget. Well, I didn't find the place where it says that, but it somewhere it says that 
he, the Lord Jesus stood on that rock and it was a symbol of him uh, being struck when he was crucified um, and that his blood poured forth for the cleansing of our sins, right? And so he did it. The water poured forth out of this rock. I mean, it wasn't coming out of the ground. It was coming out of the rock and enough for all these people. I mean, it was absolutely miraculous. And so um, there's a there's another beautiful passage that talks about the Israel, this this is the rock of Israel, and that Israel means married, and um, that he's this is our husband. This is the one who who is faithful to us and and takes care of us and and is you know, good to us and provides for us. And so it's it's not a matter of um, uh, just a just any old rock, and it's not coming out of the ground. It's it's this is the rock that saved them through all their days in the desert. Um, so it just really huge so this is what it looks like now um now it didn't at the time uh well when obviously when jacob first got it it didn't have these rings in it but they put the ring so they could carry it on a pole and you can see that it's been um uh, chafed and, and it's been uh, a, a, you know, a little divot put into the middle of it that's the that's how you know the real one i'll show you one that's actually a fake here in a little bit all right so then later on the amalekites came to fight them and um so moses held up his rod i was telling you about this rod which i can't go into on this video but how the lord used this rod in a great way to save them uh for years and years and years and even i believe it's it's around even today and um so moses again sits on a rock why are they always talking about this rock he said that's the same rock that he's sitting on isn't that something you guys so he's sitting on this rock and they're holding up his arms as long as they he holds up his hold up his arms, his arms get tired through the battle. Uh, they they win the battle. Okay, so that is so cool. And then at the end, they let me see if I can find. Okay, that's another one. But um, at the end of the battle, they put a banner, and this is the banner that they put, which is basic, basically Aleph Tav, and it's uh, the letter A and the letter T, and they they put those there as it's a uh, symbolic for I am the great. I am, and that the Lord saved them. It was the Lord that that worked through them. That yes, he they're they're down there fighting, but they're sitting on the stone. They're holding up God's rod. They recognize the Lord is the only one who gives us victory in any battle, in any battle. So that's why we pray. That's why we're here to pray. All right. So the next one, you fast forward. You go. They go into fast forward like a thousand years, whatever. Not quite that much, but. Um, um, the big jump in time, you see Solomon, and look at this. He sat upon the throne of Yahweh. We look at there. That's the same stone. This is the coronation stone. All the kings would be crowned on, sitting on this stone, okay? This is the throne of Yahweh as king in place of David, his father. His da David had died. He'd been king for a long time. I mean, he prospered and all Israel obeyed him. So there you go. So it was the first was Saul and then was David and then was Solomon. And then you go, you go on down and, and then that's when the kingdoms separate at that point. You've got Judah in the south and the 10 tribes in the north. Okay. But um, they have the stone in the southern kingdom. And so they're being... Um, coronated on the stone now you see fast forward they had a lot of bad kings but now they have a good king joash he's young and um not beset with uh, so much evil that you know 
takes us over as we get older, unless we really turn, you know, keep our lives you know, close to the Lord. And so then um, they crown him and he's actually said he's standing on the stone. Okay. So here is the story of what it actually says. And then uh, interestingly in this reading is, I'm sorry, interesting in this reading is that when Joash was crowned, he stood by his pillar in second Chronicles 23, 13. Why are they always talking about this pillar? It's the, the Jacob's pillar. Second Kings eleven fourteen actually says a pillar. Israel's Kings, according to custom, 2 Kings 11, 14, were crowned in a ceremony involving a pillar. This pillar was apparently a matzibah, a standing stone. It's interesting to note that the Britain sovereigns are also crowned in a ceremony involving a pillar. Hmm. You see where I'm going with this? Jacob's stone. The Hebrew in these passages is even more interesting for it literally says the king stood upon his pillar. He stood upon his pillar. Britain's monarchs are also crowned upon a pillar stone sitting upon it. So we'll talk about that here more in just a little bit. But yeah, so that is, and here it is in 2 Kings. This is actually um, a Hebrew version. Let me see if I can find out the name of this version in case you want to go to BibleGateway.com and see this. Melachem. Um, whatever, uh, Orthodox Jewish Bible. Okay, OJB. All right, so verse 14 of Second Kings chapter 11. It says, and when she looked, this is his grandmother, uh, because she didn't know where he was. She thought that he was, they, that he, she killed all of her grandchildren. What a creep, right? And when she looked, um, Hamalek stood at Ham, Hamud, the pillar, according to Mishpat, and the ceremony, the trumpets beside Hamalek. So in other words, he's being crowned the king by the pillar. And she know and, and what's so cool is that when it's the rightful heir to the throne, when it's the blessed heir, it water doesn't pour forth, it actually makes a sound. It's it says that person's name. How cool is that? How cool is that? All right, so then in, in uh, this other version, the, the OJB version, no, no, WYC version, and she saw the king standing on the throne. He was standing on the throne. This is one of the versions, it, it interprets it correctly. She was, he was standing on the throne. Hmm. Look at that. So that's what they would do. Now, fast forward to now we've had good king and bad king, bad king, bad king, like I would say the other day. And now they've had so many bad ones. It's, it's too late. It's too late. And they're going to have to be punished because this is just so bad. And um, so this is a picture of Jeremiah. This is what you always think of. And he would, uh, the Lord would have him do like little skits for the people. And at one point he said, okay, just put on your, have on your undergarments and show the people that this is when you're going to be, you're going to be stripped bare. You're going to have nothing. And you're going to be hauled off to, to Babylon as slaves and so he was he's also called the weeping prophet he wrote the book of lamentations because he was just lamenting over jerusalem the people would not listen and do what he told them to do um here's a, also a video of jeremiah now he, patrick dempsey looks much more handsome than what you think of as jeremiah but it was it's really a, a good movie so i would encourage you to write uh, to watch that movie by patrick dempsey of jeremiah i think you would uh it would help you to see more about him but yeah just like Jeremiah said, they would be taken captive into Babylon. So you see Jerusalem is burning. Nebuchadnezzar's come and he's hauling all these people away. Some people were left, but, um, you know, just a, just a remnant was left. And now what's 
you know, as, as you, many of you have seen my video on the Ark of the Covenant that he hid underneath, uh, in the caves underneath the temple and actually um, up the hill a little bit. And that turned out to be right under where our Lord Jesus was crucified. And uh, that the blood, uh, his blood poured out and ended up on the Ark of the Covenant. But the earthquake shook and the, and the opened and the, the blood went down and still no one knew until like 50 years ago when Ron Wyatt found the Ark of the Covenant that Jeremiah hid at this time, okay? So I know I'm going very quickly, but um, so now they also hid. Okay, let me tell you what happened next. When, they, when, they, when they're leaving, Zedekiah was the king and he would not do what Jeremiah said. He said, you're going to be killed if you don't, if you will just go ahead and turn yourself in to Nebuchadnezzar, you will live. He will, he will not kill you, but you know, if you've got to do it now, but he didn't, Zedekiah did not. And so the next thing that happened, this is sad, but yeah, this is Zedekiah right here. Well, King Nebuchadnezzar is taking and killing his sons right before his very eyes. And then they actually gouge out Zedekiah's eyes, gouge his eyes out, and so that's the last thing he ever sees, is his sons being killed. Thankfully, Jeremiah has hidden away Zedekiah's two daughters. Now, Nebuchadnezzar never would have thought that his daughters could become queens in, in the place of the sons, but they can. According to God's word, they can. If there's not a, a, a male heir, uh, then, the, then the females can take over. That's from, that's from back in the time of Judah. Um, uh, Judah the man, okay, not the county or the, 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 the district. All right, so that's what's happening now. They've left. Zedekiah actually lives, but he uh, ends up being hauled to Babylon. His sons are dead, but now um, uh, his two daughters, Tia Tethi, are uh, uh, and and um, Scota, um, Scota, Scota are alive. But we'll talk about that here in a minute. So this is what's happening. They're being taken into captivity. Now, if you look at Judah down here, the southern tribe, there's two tribes in the south. They've been taken off into Babylon. Okay, that's where Nebuchadnezzar was. That's where the story of Daniel took place, and and he was miraculously turned that society around. Uh, because he, and that's what we need to do is turn our society around just like Daniel did. And the, and the story of Esther and, and the, you know, the three Hebrew children going into the fiery furnace that happened there. And because of their faith and God showed up, then they began to realize, Hey, there, these people have the true and living God. Okay. And at the end, uh, the King told everyone they had to worship the God of, of, um, Daniel, which is so cool. So, but yeah, so but at this point, it's not necessarily that happy. Uh, they're being hauled away into Babylon and with this, the clothes on their backs. Now you've got the northern tribes a couple of hundred years before, because this is like 580 uh, BC before Christ, that the, that the Judah went off into captivity. That um, the northern tribes went in like 780 BC, so a couple of hundred years before. I'm sniffling. Anyway, so they are uh, all throughout this area. Now, notice here the Caspian Sea and the Black Sea. So they're basically down here in 
between these two seas. And what the Assyrians do is they use them as a buffer zone. They use the, the, uh, the, these 10 tribes of Israel to say, you guys you know, be right there so that, you know, we will, if the, if the marauding bandits come, they will get you first and we'll be safe. At least we'll hear about it before you, you know, we get hurt. So that's what was happening when they were taking off in, taken off into Assyria, okay? Um, so I've got, I wanna tell you first about what happened with the daughters, okay? The daughters of, um, of, uh, of Zedekiah. So this is in Jeremiah 43.3. But Baruch, the son of Neriah, setteth thee on against us to deliver, for to deliver us into the hand of the Chaldeans that they might put us to death and carry us away captives into Babylon. Okay, let me back up. Jeremiah told them, you need to stay in Judah. The Lord has said, stay in Judah and you'll be safe. And they're like, no, no, we've got to get out of here. We've got to go to Egypt. He says, this is what the Lord says. He told me to tell you. <laughs> he told me to tell you this. And you've got to listen and do what he says. And they, they wouldn't believe, even though they just been through this and he had said, this is what's going to happen. And exactly it happened. They still won't believe what Jeremiah said. So, you know, it's not human reasoning. It's really the spirit of God. We, we are shut up to the spirit of God to reveal truth to us and to help us to, to discern what's the right way to go. So let's just keep praying or speak to us so that we know the right decisions, the, the right thing to do in the battle uh, that we're fighting of Armageddon. So they, um, so he say, no, no. So Johanan the son of Korea and all the captains of the forces and all the people obeyed not the voice of the Lord to, do, to dwell in the land of Judah, to stay right there, stay put. No, we're not going to do it. But Jonanan and the son, the son of Korea and all the captains of the forces took all the remnant of Judah that were returned from all the nations, whether wherever, wherever they had been driven to dwell in the land of Judah, even men and women and children and the king's daughters, Tia, Tephi, and Scota, and every person that Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, had left with Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, and Jeremiah, the prophet, and Baruch, the son of Neriah. They took them, everyone, and they, so they came into the land of Egypt, for they obeyed not the voice of the Lord, and they came even to Tad. Tanis, I think they call that actually Tanis instead of Tapanese, whatever it is. It's, I think they call it Tanis. So you might, I'm going to put this link here if you want to watch this video to give you more information about King Zedekiah and his and the daughters and what ended up happening to them. There's a really good video. Uh, I think that was a good one. You know, you could always have to listen very uh, subjectively and really carefully uh, to see if it's what is good. You just, you know, take the meat, throw out the bones, right? So all of them were taken off in, they said, come with us to Egypt. So, you know, Jeremiah ended up going over there, you know, because they're taking the king's daughter. He's going to stay with the king's daughters. He's going to stay with them. Okay, so that's what happened next. Let me see if I can scoot over a little bit. All right, so here is, this is Tia Tefi. All right, so a couple of years later, let me see if I can, uh, let's see if I can get back to them. There's so much to tell. It's like, how, where do I even start on all this? Um, all right, here I am on jahtruth.net, um, and I'll put this link below. All right, so Baruch, Jeremiah's scribe, then came and told them that the coast was clear, so they've been hiding underneath uh, uh, the temple. 
in these caves, okay? And so then Baruch came and said, okay, you can come out now because they're all gone, okay? Um, he came and told them, the coast was clear, so Jeremiah took Tiatefi and God's treasures and went first to Mizpah and then to Tanis in Egypt for safety. There they stayed in a palace that was given to Tiatefi. Let me make this a little bit bigger for you if I can. Maybe not. Um, by Pharaoh, Hophra, after he adopted her as his own daughter. The palace, so you might hear that, oh, well, he, no, he's the, Tiatefi is the daughter of, a, of a, an Egyptian. Well, he adopted her, okay, but he, she was originally Zedekiah's daughter, okay? Um, the palace, although now is in ruins, Tel Defna is still known today as the, whatever, the palace of the daughter of Judah, just as she prophesied in her book it would be. The royal party stayed at Tanis for some time until Jeremiah was warned by God that Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon was also being sent by him to invade Egypt and that they must leave. Now, since they're taking the Ark of God, um, I I really, I still believe that the Ark of, Ark of the Covenant is, un, is hidden under where our Lord Jesus was crucified. I do believe that there were things that were in the Ark that were taken, as in the, 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 the man, because this, this, there were certain things that Ron Wyatt did not find in the, in the cave, and that is the, the rod that budded. He didn't find the manna, a bowl of manna. Um, so certain things, I think he took a box, but I don't think it was the, the, the original the Ark of the Covenant. Okay, so he did take a box of, of, uh, of, of artifacts with them as well as the stone, okay? Um, Jeremiah's group left Tannis on a moonless cloudy night, sailing on a ship for Tyre, of Tyre, piloted by a Danite, okay, like the Dan, tribe of Dan, okay, called Buki, son of Halek, who was accompanied by his son, Bodan, uh, first um, to Carthage, where they arrived three weeks later, but did not disembark. At sunset, a strong hot wind blew from the desert, driving them north and tearing their sails. On the seventh day, they entered a little bay by the mouth of an unknown river that ran from east to west, where they dropped anchor. Um, all right, so this, so that they ended up in in Egypt for a good while. Okay, but now they now they've left and they're going uh, to they're heading north. Okay, so now and a let me back up another time. This is the second group of royalty that is going to be in the, in the, um, uh, what I call the British Isles. Okay. The second group. And so the first group had been actually at the first, at the time of the first exodus from Egypt. Okay. So let's see what happens with her when she gets to Egypt, because she, there are two lines from David. One is called, uh, Zara and uh, let's see the other one is called she's from the Ferez Ferez okay so Eokid was okay oh there's so much to tell you I was like I don't even know what to what to tell you all right so Eokid was from the Zara the red hand you see on their flag they have this red hand okay He's from the Red Hand branch, and Tia Tefi was from the line of David of the Pharez, the Pharez branch of Judah. Okay, so that's where we get the crown on the top. And their marriage union sealed the breach caused centuries early when Judah's twin sons had been born. This marriage union, look at that, look at how the Lord worked it out, that took place at 
Rathnari, the Fort of the Kings, at Tara in royal Meath, is symbolized on the Ulster flag. The red hand is Zara, mounted upon the Star of David under the single royal crown, symbolizing the union of the two royal lines that sprang from Judah. And this is what the Lord said, you would always have someone on the throne. This was his the, the blessing that he got. And so, you know, all these years, they had someone on the throne in, in Jerusalem, and they had someone on, on the throne in the British Isles, and now they're married. And so the, this, this line is going through them. All right. I want to tell you one other quick thing that happened with the people of is uh, the lost tribes of Israel, because I don't think I had told you this, and it's it's important while we're here. Right here, the ten tribe house of Israel had been slaves in Assyria since 722 BC, and therefore had learned to speak Assyrian, which is why there are Germanic words, Assyrian Germanic words, in the English and other Northern European languages today. That is a very good way to recognize if these if this is true history. When you see people having these same words, where do they come from, right? It wasn't just someone passing by. It's because they've lived together and they've, uh, you, know, uh, you know, worked together for over a long period of time, okay? Um, so this is uh, really very, very strong, strong evidence that this is true. They also lost their Sabbath sign that told them who they were, having changed their Sabbath day from the true Sabbath which is the Saturday to the Assyrian and Babylonian sun worship religions, worship of Sunday. So they've begun to lose their true history. So these people, many of these people who had moved here were Israelites, but uh, they ended up moving. I'll show you the picture. They ended up moving after they were no longer slaves, these lost tribes, the migration of the lost tribes, they ended up moving from this in between the Caspian Sea and the Black Sea, they ended up moving over to Northern Europe, into Norway and Finland and Sweden, into Germany, and little by little moving over. You know, they're lost only in the sense that they don't know who they are. They don't necessarily know. Okay, so this, the, uh, the, um, uh, Jeremiah brought Tia Tefi all the way around here, and now she started in Ireland. I'm going to show you that picture. These are the regions of Ireland, four different regions, and you can see that they still recognize that their regions are uh, identified by these ancient symbols, the, the Harp of David, King David, and the, the, uh, the hand of uh, Harriman, right, the red hand, from the Zara, Zara tribe, and Tia from the Ferris uh, tribe with the red cross. So isn't that something? So there, that's, that is a current picture of Ireland with their symbols for each of their four regions. Now, this is the book called The Missing Links Discovered in Assyrian Tablets. This wonderful man, Raymond Capt, um, has written this book. I ordered it, and I'm waiting for it to come in, but it's, it talks about 23,000 clay cuneiform tablets, and they've done these excavations, and there's no doubt about it, of the, the people of the lost tribes of Israel, where they went, and he explains it all in this book, so you might get that. I've heard several people say you've got to have this book, and I, but I found a video of this man speaking, Raymond, E. Raymond Capt, and you can tell this man is so... Uh, so smart and he's he has such great information so i i really encourage you to listen just to a little bit of it and see what you what you think 
And later, a Syrian report states, in the second year of Urshahedon the king, now this is about 679 B.C., the Gimra, as the Israelites were then called, rose in rebellion under their leader, Tuespa. We don't know if Tuespa was a woman or a man at this stage. They fled westward. Now the Greeks reported these same activities. They called the Gimera, Kimeroi, in their records. Now that name is translated into English as Kimerians. Now the branch of Israelites, now known as Kimerians, moved out of Major Minor around and sometimes across the Black Sea, settling in the Crimea and the Carpathian regions west of the Black Sea. We find this called in Second Ezra, Arsereth, or Mountains of Sirth. Now later when Babylon conquered the Assyrian Empire, this is about see, 612 B.C., they then invaded that part of Media where the Israelites, or Gimera, had that had not escaped, were still there, and settled. And that, of course, drove the Gimera out of their area, someone moving up through the uh, Caucasus, uh, through the, what we call today the Pass of Israel. I should say that some historians refer to that as the Pass of Israel. Others moved around the uh, east of the Caspian Sea and became known as Iskuzi, a name very easily derived from Isaac. Then these tablets that allow us to learn these things really provide a very valuable archaeological clue, don't they? Yes, they do. There's another major clue to tracing the lost tribes of Israel. is found on the side of a hill in northern Persia. It's in the scribe writings about 300 feet above the base of the mountain, the hill. Now, the inscriptions were actually carved in Akkadian, Elamite, and Old Persian languages. All three told the same story. The inscriptions show that the Babylonian name Gimera was written Saka on the Persian inscription, proving that the Gimera and the Saka were the same people. Now, the Greeks called these Scythians, I should say they called the Saka, Scythians in all their records. This is the first mention of the word Scythian. It's also interesting to note that the various names of Gimera are called all have the same root, S-K, as Isaac. Now, before the tribes went into exile, they called themselves the house of Isaac. You can find this in the Bible in Amos 4, verses 7 and 16, I believe. Archaeology has not only identified these Scythians as members of the lost tribes of Israel, but for the first time provided us with realistic, lifelike pictures of what the ancient Hebrews people look like. Now, unlike the stylized pictures we see the Egyptians made and formalized or stylized stone carvings made by the Babylonians and Persians, excavated from Scythian tombs north of Caucasus are found skillfully made gold work showing the everyday life of the Scythians. Here are two Scythian horsemen are astride their horses. Two Scythians here are fighting back to back using bows and arrows. Now this reminds us of the little tribe of Benjamin that had, according to the Bible, 280,000 men of valor that bore shields and drew the bow. Now to continue tracing the Israelites, under pressure from the Medes and the Persians, the Scythians, now this is the eastern branch of the Israelites, they migrated north of the Black Sea, coming into collision with the Cimmerians. Now the Cimmerians, I consider them the western branch of the Israelites. These people had settled in the Carpathian regions. Now the kinship lost during the passing centuries, ensuing battles ended with the Cimmerians being pushed out of that area and they moved, moved westward. The Cimmerians then broke into two major groups, the larger part migrating up the Danube River Valley, arriving at its source in South Germany between 600 and 100 BC. 
Now, Roman historians, they call these people Celts. This is the first mention now of the word Celt. A small group moved into the sparsely inhabited regions of the Baltic, but the Romans called them by the abbreviated name of Cimbri. Now, between the 4th and 1st centuries B.C., the Sarmatians, now these are a mixed non-Israelitish people, we believe partly Iranian, were pushing westward. They finally moved into the area of the then prosperous Scythian nation. Continuing warfare then drove the Scythians out of their land, as they had done the Cimmerians, and the majority northward toward the Baltic areas. Now, by the end of the 2nd century B.C., we find only two small pockets of Scythians left on the shores of the Black Sea. Now, the Scythians, in turn, pushed the Cimbri westward to Jutland and the coast of Holland. Now, during this period of time, the Celts were expanding in all directions, many of them pouring into Britain to form the bedrock of the British race. About uh, 3000 B.C., uh, some of the Celts invaded Italy and sacked Rome. Others migrated back into Asia Minor, where they were, they were called Galatians by the Greeks. We now know that Paul's letters to the Galatians were to his kinsmen Israelites, that is, descendants of the earlier Galatians, although called Gentiles by the modern Bible translators. You know, that really helps to clear up to a degree, or major degree, this term Gentile. A lot of people have a lot of problems with it, mm -hmm. but the word itself is ethnos, and it means nations. That's right. And what you're talking about here are nations, and of course God told Abraham his seed was going to form a multitude of nations. Those nations would definitely be Israelites. Now, as the Sarmatians occupied Scythia in South Russia, there was a tendency to confuse them with the Sarmatians, because people are usually identified by the name of the land they live in. Now, the Romans, they solved the problem. They introduced the word Germans for Scythians. Now, the word uh, genuine, or genuous, uh, genuine, I should say, is Germanus or Germani. That's the Latin word for genuine. So in all the Roman records, except for a few outland areas, they dropped the name Scythian in all the Roman records. They applied the word Sarmatians or Germans. Now, from that, well, I guess you get, you get the picture. German. Oh, it's fascinating, yes. Now, don't think for a minute we're talking about the German nation today. Right. The Cimbri uh, were eventually driven out of Northwest Europe. One group migrated to Italy, were nearly all wiped out by the Romans. One group made their way back into Spain to be known as Ibrius. Ibrius is the Gaelic name for Hebrews. And eventually, many of those migrated into uh, the Ireland as Scots. They named the island Hibernia, that early name for Ireland, a name that still exists. One group crossed the English Channel into northern Britain to form the, I should say, form the roots of the nation of the Picts. Now, during the succeeding centuries, the Scythian Germanic peoples broke into many divisions, possibly in some instances into their original Israel tribal families, like the Angles, Saxons, Jutes, Danes, and Vikings, to name just a few. Now, between 450 and 600 A.D., some of the Angles and Saxons moved into Britain as Anglo-Saxons. The Celtic Scots, for the most part, moved into northern Britain and established the nation of Scotland. Although some settled in northern Wales, the Isles of Man, the Scilly Islands. Now, many Germanic tribes poured into the land south. That is, after the Celts began to move out and vacate the land, these Germanic tribes established the Gothic nations, the Vandals, Lombards, Franks, Burgundians, Visigoths, Ostrogoths. 
These Scythian Germanic people or tribes formed the modern German, Swiss, French, Italian, Spanish, and Portuguese nations of the day. Although there has been over the centuries an infusion of non-Israel blood in these nations. The northern Scythian Israelites that had settled in Scandinavia, we read of them in history, raiding and establishing colonies in Western Europe, Britain, and Ireland. One group settled in France became known as Normans, who later forced their way into England under William the Conqueror in 1066. What happened to the lost tribes of Israel? You now know the answer. They were never really lost. They only lost their identity as they migrated over the centuries westward. This is a book about, it's called the Book of Tephi. Um, and uh, let's see, I'll read a little bit of it. It has been over a century since, he, since Goodchild first published his translation of the original Gaelic of the legend of Queen Tephi. Now, so you've got to be careful because some of the things may not be accurate if it's a legend. But um, so we just, everything, we're just piecing it all together. Uh, it's been sung by bards of Ireland for centuries. In the annals and legends of Ireland, we find the traditions of the origins of the Irish people and the ancient Irish kings. The rich history speaks of the early settlement of Ireland by a group called the tribe of Dan. So these people are moving over there, just like it's saying, these tribes, why is everything called Dan? Dan this and Dan that. Look at this. Look at this. In Ireland today, we find their customary evidence, the places of their names, such as Dan's Lau, Dan Sour, Dan Monism, Dan, Dan Dalky, Dan Drum, uh, Dun Drum, <laughs> Don Eagle, Don Eagle City, Don Glow, London, I mean, just on and on and on, okay? So this is where these people, they named their city after themselves, right? So uh, the buried in this folklore is the tale of Jeremiah the prophet, Princess Tephi, and Baruch, a scribe, the guys we were just talking about. They landed in Ireland about the time the destruction of Jerusalem took place, bearing with them a great chest and a stone wrapped on a banner. The princess married Zerahite king, Eokid, whatever, Sorry, whatever his name is, uh, or Harriman. You can call him the horseman, right? Horseman of all Ireland. And their, their son was Ariel. This Tephi was the daughter of the king of Jerusalem, whom Jeremiah went forth to plant in Ireland after rooting out and destruction of Zedekiah, the king of Jerusalem in 588 BC. We find in the official lineage of the royal house of Britain that the house of Stuart, keep that in mind, Stuart, are the descendants of Teotalfi and her husband, Okay, the Harriman, the horseman. Okay, the Harriman. All right. So, isn't this amazing, you guys? This is really, this is something. This is amazing. All right. So, this is what the Lord told Jeremiah. It was his ministry. Poor guy, the guy over here who had no clothes on, right? I mean, like, oh, poor Jeremiah. Look at what his job is. The Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord, I'm going to try to make this bigger. Sorry, this is so big, little. Okay, here, that's a little bit bigger, huh? Uh, the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. I put my words in your mouth. And he was faithful. He spoke this word even though people didn't like it. I've told y'all that so many times before. He was so faithful. And uh, let's just pray, Lord, help us to be faithful, to speak the word even if people don't like it. I've got the same thing going on in my world right now, but... Oh, well, see, I have set that I have this day set thee over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down and to destroy and to throw down, to plant and to, 
it's billed in the client. Okay, so what's happening is he's having to tear down this whole, uh, all this evil stuff that had been going on in Jerusalem. Okay, and uh, where was it? Where was the picture? Okay, so he's tearing this down. And Nebuchadnezzar is actually tearing it down, but he's part of it saying, this is, we can't put up with this. He tried so hard to get them to turn back. And of course, the enemy attacks those who are, who are standing up for righteousness. Hello, hello, where the word is being sp uh, spoken in truth, and he's going to attack. That's just what he does. So uh, that's why the Lord says, okay, I'm going to have to just tear this one down and start over, okay? And that's exactly what he did. So he's planting Tia Tefi. He's planting Tia Tefi in, uh, now in the British Isles with horseman, <laughs> Harriman, okay? E-O-K, whatever his name is. So that was his, that was, uh, uh, I'll post this uh, link in the, in the description below if you want to read this one too. But this is what the Lord told him he would have you know, this job that he would have to do to, to plan and to build, okay? And, but we must not forget that God promised to his servant that one of David's seed would always sit upon that throne of Israel, even until Shiloh, Jesus Christ, comes. Isn't that the promise? You've heard that promise before, right? Thus we're given in the same verse of that throne being rooted out a message that it was Jeremiah's duty, chosen duty, to build and to plant, and to, to plant that throne of Israel. All right, so here we go. Um, so you check those things out. Check out Tia Tefi. All right, so now let's go on to, you can keep that beautiful thing, picture. All right, so when they get there and they have um, passed on, oh, did I show you that? Oh, hang on, there was something I wanted to show you. Okay, so this is the coat of arms for Ireland. And so you see this harp right here. That is King David's harp. So that's where it, it comes from. And then you see this is the red hand, right, of, um, of Harriman, right? Uh, and then this red cross right here is the sign of um, 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 Teotefi. So these, there are four regions in Ireland. So these two were the, were the founding ones for um, the, the, uh, the settlements of the tribes of Israel, of the, of, the, of the royalty, the royal family of Israel. How cool is that? So they passed down, uh, and it says that she stood on this stone. Tia Tefi, the king's daughter, married Iukid, the Harriman, the chief king of Ireland. The stone called Leophael or Stone of Destiny was kept in the capital city of Tara or Tara for some three centuries, and all the kings, descendants of Iokid and Tiatefi, were crowned on it. Okay, so there you go. That was what I was looking for yesterday. So uh, there's other good information here, so check this out. Then about 350 BC, it was sent to Scotland for the coronation of Fergus, king of the Scots, who was a descendant of the Milesian kings of Ireland. It remained in Scotland, and all the Scottish kings were crowned on it until 1297 AD. At that time, King Edward I of England invaded Scotland and captured the stone, which he took to England, Whereby, where it was placed in Westminster Abbey, its home ever since that date. It was built into the coronation chair, the oldest piece of furniture in England still serving its original purpose. 
all English kings have been crowned on it ever since. Its origin has been well known during the entire time it has been in the British Isles and from practically the first, it was called Jacob's Stone. William Rislinger, uh, writing in the 13th century, records the coronation of John de Belois as king, uh, I guess that's how you say it, as king of Scotland in the year 1292 AD upon the stone which Jacob placed his head. Isn't that something? So now you've got kind of more of the story. Um, let me read this one little other snippet here because it helps you to see the, the connection of, um, to David's line. The 10 tribe nation of Israel had to abide many days without a king as Yahweh prophesied in Hosea 3, 4. However, there, were, there must always be a royal family of David's line on the throne over some Israelite people. Yahweh promised in Jeremiah 33, 17, David shall never lack a man to sit upon the throne of the house of Israel. We know that Eochon the Harriman was of the Milesian line of kings of Ireland, and that the Milesians in Ireland were descendants of Zara, a son of Judah. Teotephi was a descendant of David, who was also the royal tribe of Judah through Judah's other son, Perez. So the two royal lines of Judah were united with the marriage of Eochid and Teotephi, and a descendant of David was always on the throne over Israelite people, as Yahweh had promised. She's basically sitting on that stone in this picture. And this, so she's, that's the, that is what they would do is they would sit on the stone and this is the coronation stone. So this is her uh, the olive branch of bringing peace. And um, I'm going to also show you what this, this actually means from the Lord. And um, all right, so she, after she became the queen, this is what it says. Tia Tepi then began instituting the Torah or God's laws to Ireland. The Torah is perfectly fair and unbiased, uniting everyone with no rich or poor, all under one system. Under the Torah, nobody can oppress anyone else by inflicting their own selfish opinion or laws or taxes on them. So nobody can put themselves or others all uh, over others. All men were created equal in the eyes of God. Isn't that terrific? All right, so this is um, this, this whole section down here at the bottom has a section on Tia Tefi you might want to read this this section here all right so now so now they have the she you know she has the rod she has the stone um and they passed that down um and uh, it was saying that, that when when she was crowned that the, the, the stone said her name i mean this is exactly what we've seen we saw that happened throughout the bible so we shouldn't be shocked with something like that happened all right so then king john got the the you know, always see them with a scepter with this thing and a lot of times it's a picture of one that's really really long scepter like you would think of sorry a long scepter like you would think of as a um as a like a shepherd's staff like you would think of like moses carried and it had passed down in the ark of the covenant aaron's rod that budded okay so then um i wanted you to see the Aleph and the Ta. Okay, I'm going to read this to you. These two letters, Aleph and Ta, are, and in the original Hebrew alphabet, they appear as a diagonal X and Ta as an upright cross, okay? A cross and an X, okay? Aleph is basically like in the alphabet, the letter A, their letter A. So that appears as an X and Ta as cross okay thus when combined as a symbol to express the idea of the eternal god they would appear like the protective mark referred to above so 
So I'll show you this. That's the British flag. Does that mean I agree with what Britain's doing? No. <laughs> but I will say that, that they have the original symbols. You see where these symbols are coming from. And this is the same symbol that Moses used after that battle where he was sitting on that stone with the Amalekites. This is the same kind of symbol that he used. Okay. This is the Aleph and the Tall. Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? Um, all right. So that's, that's the, uh, the, the Aleph is the X and the Tav is the T is this cross right here in the middle. Isn't that cool? All right. So now, so now we have to have these, you know, we're passing it down from generation to generation. And we come along and you know the story of William Wallace. Uh, Mel Gibson acted the part of William Wallace in the movie Braveheart. Remember that? And uh, talking about just, you've got to see that. That's where they're, he's trying to stop with what King Edward is doing. That's where we are. King Edward was t stealing the, the stone. He was taking the stone and saying, you know, we're going to have the monarchy in, in Britain because we don't have to follow the rules of God's word. We can take advantage of the people. We can steal from them. We can tax them and we can be unfair. We don't have to follow God's rules at all. So this is ever, and he's got the, he's got a picture of course with the, with the scepter, um, with the rod, but um, he's not. He's not uh, obviously following God's rules and, and wanting to do it God's way. And he had told them he was going to make sure that they had a, a, a king because they had, um, had kind of hit a bump in the road where they didn't have a, a, the, next, the next person in line. And he completely just basically overtook them. And that's what William Wallace was doing, was trying to make sure that they had their own sovereignty in Scotland and they could have their own king. And yeah, that it was, you know it, how badly it turned out for William Wallace. Terrible, terrible, terrible. If you haven't seen that movie, definitely watch it, especially in the light of everything that we're learning. Um, so they fought valiantly and they lost. And so then this story is the one I just watched the other day um, on Netflix and it's called the, the uh, Outlaw King, Outlaw King, and I highly recommend it too, because this is where it picked up after William Wallace lost, and, uh, and King Edward, here's King Edward, and he's getting some people who will say, oh, well, we need to, uh, somehow or another, he pays them off or something, and he gets them to uh, cause um, the other, uh, Robert de Bruce to, uh, to surrender and he causes them to surrender and and they're like, but they're like we can't surrender even though this guy said he wanted to surrender the other guy did robert the bruce the bruce did not want to surrender and these people are like we can't put up with tyranny same reason our forefathers came to america was because we want to follow the lord we want to do his work we want to treat everybody fair and they just wanted to be tyrants and it was, you know, they, they, he agreed with his buddy supposedly in the battle to go ahead and surrender. But not two weeks later, he's like, I can't, we can't. And then, you know, William Wallace was, was mercilessly killed and they, they don't keep their, their promises at all. So this was King Edward. And this is when he's going to battle against Robert de Bruce. So definitely check it out. The Outlaw King. I really am glad that I got to see that. And, um, I think it was done pretty well.
but all these monarchs in Britain would have all the symbols, but not the reality, okay? They would have the rod, they would have the stone, they stole the stone, okay? King George, this is the same, this is the guy we fought. This is the guy we fought in the, uh, in the Revolutionary War. We are like, we're leaving, we're going to the America. And so he's still trying to boss us around over here. I mean, these people don't stop just like the ones that we're fighting today. It's the same thing. These are the part of the New World Order cabal beast, right? Uh, as I showed you on the flag the other day. And this is their um, uh, the chair, the coronation chair, and that they have a stone. Well, that tells you right there, who puts a stone under their chair? You know, that's just really, not your typical thing that you would do, right? So this is what happened in 1950. On this day in 1950, this celebrated Scottish stone of Scotland. Okay, so let me have, where did it get into Scotland? I didn't tell you that part. So, so basically everything, it started in Ireland and it just transferred and, and there's a verse that saw, talks about being turned and overturned and overturned. Find that for you real quick. All right, I found it. Here it is in uh, mtrial.org. Um, this is from the book of Ezekiel about the true stone of destiny. Look at verse um, 20, 27. I will overturn one, overturn two, overturn three it, and it shall be no more overturned until he come whose right it is, and I will give it to him. Don't you find it strange that in the, in the, Daniel's vision of the statue, Nebuchadnezzar statue being destroyed, it's with a stone, right? And that stone is Christ. So isn't this, I'm telling you, this is so exciting. All right, so here's Ezekiel, here it is in Ezekiel in the BibleGateway.com. That says, the Lord remove the diadem, take off the crown. This shall not be the same. Exalt him that is low and abase him that is high. So he's saying, the kingdoms are not doing what they're supposed to be doing. They keep being overtaken by bad guys. Okay. He knew that. He knew that was going to be the case because you can't, you can't just, it's hard to keep things running down the right track. Bad people with the wrong motives always seem like they want to come in and, and, and do the wrong thing. Um, so he's saying, that, okay, you'll have to take up the crown. If you're not doing a good job, I will overturn, overturn, overturn it. And it shall be no more until he who he come whose right it is, and I will give it to him. How cool is that? Okay, so, so stay tuned. I want you to hear what what uh, I'm going to tell you. Who I think that is? All right, which you probably already know. Um, so the first overturn of the stone of the stone was from Jerusalem to Ireland, which we've already talked about. And then the second overturn was from Ireland to Scotland, and the third overturn was from Scotland to England. And the fourth overturn is now, which I'm going to tell you about. Well, I'll just read this one. There's, uh, I've got several, and I'll put all these ones in the link below if you want to read more about what actually happened. So in 1950, on Christmas morning, a group of four student-aged Scottish nationals removed the real stone of destiny, Leah Fale, from Westminster Abbey and hurried it off to Scotland. The leader of the group, Ian Hamilton, states in his book, The Taking of the Stone of Destiny, that King George VI had appeared that the loss portended the end of his dynasty. 
which of course it did. This removal of the authentic stone of destiny just caused a big stir in England and the authorities immediately began searching for it. In preparation for the stone's removal from London, the group of Scots practiced using the fake stone sandstone replica made by a stonemason sculptor, Bertie Gray. Then after successfully removing the real Stone of Destiny from the Westminster Abbey, Bertie Gray helped Ian Hamilton and another friend of theirs to place the fake sandstone duplicate wrapped in a Scottish flag on the high altar of Arbroath Abbey on the 11th of April, 1951. Then they notified the authorities that it could be found there, which they did the following day. The fake stone Sandstone replica was then sent back to London and Elizabeth II was later crowned upon it. Since Elizabeth II has never been crowned upon the real stone of destiny, coronation stone, she's never been and is not officially the queen of Britain or Israel in the eyes of God. I know this is a lot, I'm telling you guys, but this is amazing. This is amazing. I'm going to show you the real and the fake. Okay, here we go. Here is, here is the real stone. It's 458 pounds. This thing's a monster. And you can see how it's got that divot in it, right? And it's got the, the, you know, the rings. This one has rings, but you can tell. This is not the same stone. It's 336 pounds. It's sandstone, and which is you know, more crumbly. And uh, they've taken, they have had samples of this one that they've tested, and they're like, yes, this is it. So uh, this is the real one. So now they actually, this is the stone that was under the queen when she was, that's that chair, right? I was just showing you wherever it was <laughs> that I was showing you before. This is the, the chair, that the coronation chair that has the stone. But she looked at it and she could tell that was not it. And the king could tell that was not it, okay? He, they stole it, Edward stole it all those years ago. And they were like, we don't have to send back the, the real stone. We'll send them back some fake stuff, right? So the fake one was under her, so she has not been you know, crowned in the eyes of the Lord, okay? If what I'm telling you is true, and I've, I've researched it, I believe this is true, that this is the throne of Judah. This is the, the continuation of the throne of David, King David. Um, she's not been crowned on that, okay? And so her, this, this is finally falling. And just as it was said before, yes, Zedekiah was too, and it was ripped from him. It was taken from him because he was not doing the job that the Lord had, had given him to do. He would, he would not obey the Lord. All right, so yeah, and she knew. And so that's why she has it totally covered up. And they talked about how uh, they, she didn't want anyone to see the stone, so she had it completely covered up the whole time. And she was like, don't get, don't zero, don't zoom in or any of that, because she knew it was not true. So Elizabeth II has not, this is a great video too, you might want to check this out. Um, Elizabeth II has not kept her oath to keep and do only God's law. And she has defiantly multiplied her personal wealth to the extent that she is now the richest woman on the planet and owns one sixth of the wealth of this planet, okay, of the earth. So the Lord says in his word, let me see if I can get it here. It says, as far as the true leaders, the true monarchs, the true ones who are supposed to rule in as, as his ambassador, as his king on this earth, just as from the beginning, from Saul, he says, and it shall be that when he sitteth on the throne of his kingdom, that he shall write him a copy of this law in a book of 
of that which is before the priests and the Levites. I'm back up to 17. Neither shall he multiply wives to himself, but his heart turn not away. Neither shall he greatly multiply to himself silver and gold. No. And that's exactly what she has done. They have, they don't want to follow the rules. That's why they stole the thing in the first place. So they would be fake monarchs. All right. So now I'm going to go into who has. Remember, I was telling you the Stewart. Don't forget about the name John Stewart. Our president is from both lines. This John Stewart line, as well as King Christian of Denmark, Norway, and Sweden, um, through which you see King James of Scotland, King James IV of Scotland. So this is what the Lord had promised to us, that we would have someone who was you know, truly, uh, it would be overturned to someone who was truly on deserving of this title um and you're like well why do we really care this is bigger than the british monarchy okay i think all of us are pretty much over her prancing around with fancy uh outfits and the feet and, and the and the the horse-drawn carriages and all that remember how when our president went over to england and he just showed her the littlest of nothing uh attention you know, and she, everyone was, how could you dare treat the queen such a way? And even still, you know, all of our presidents have, have curtsied to this queen. It's just like, are you kidding me? And he did not, he did not play that little game because he knows that he is the rightful heir to the throne. That's the truth. That is the truth. And it's not just of Scotland, you guys. This is the, as I've said before, he is the Lord's anointed. He is, he is chosen to to do this, um, really to set Scotland free, to set the people of England free, to set us free, and all of it. it it's, this is an amazing day. This truly is an amazing day. I'll show you the, the other parts of it so you can see his line. Okay, so when Elizabeth and John had Elizabeth Gordon, and, uh, and she, then she had Alexander Gordon, and then if you see from this line, you see the Jean Gordon, uh, and Alexander got married, and then they had J Jane Gordon. So you keep going down, and look at this. He's got McKay's in his family. And I have a feeling that might be part of why Q says, you know, they don't say his name, because he basically has, has ripped off this royal name. He has that he has no title to. He has, that McCain had no right to, and uh, so the president's like, we're not even going to say his name because he does not deserve that name. I don't want him. I don't want to speak his name because it sullies his President Trump's family name. Okay, and then it passed down to McLeod, and then his mother, Marianne Trump. You know, obviously married uh, uh, Fred Trump, and then is our wonderful president. I really do believe you guys. He is the one who has the rightful, is the rightful heir to this throne. Who would have known? Who would have known, right? That, uh, that he had the right for this. And uh, from, from the Lord, from the Lord. This is from way back, all the way, all the way to King David. Isn't this something? All the way back, you know, to Jacob and to Abraham. I mean, this is huge. This is huge that um, that we would have as our president this wonderful blessing, this wonderful blessing. And uh, why am I going into this? Because this is going to happen, you guys. We're going to be set free. This is the Lord's doing. 
this is what the Lord is doing in our day. And uh, don't worry. About, it helps you not to worry about anything that happens. Yes, we still fight. We're supposed to fight in the battle, just like the Amalekites with, with Moses holding up the rod and sitting on the stone. You know, but when we know this is, this is the promise that the Lord had given to us, there's nothing that's going to stop it. I'm going to show you one last thing. This verse came to my mind from Psalm 118. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. I heard someone else saying that they had intended to use this on in the temple. But they looked at this stone and they said, no, this stone is really not in that good a shape. We just think we need to reject it. It's just not going to work for the temple. It just won't look good. It won't be supportive. Whatever reason, they said, no, we reject the stone. And so that fulfills this prophecy about the stone, which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This stone is the one that has, has uh, the Lord has used to bless us, people throughout the whole world for ever since Jacob found it. So this is really uh, beautiful. And then actually Peter mentioned it in Acts chapter four, when he was talking to the people about that they had rejected Christ. He had come, he had, he had performed all these miracles, proving who he was, and then they had killed him. And so he said, let me clearly state to you, verse 10, to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed, uh, this man, because he, this, Peter healed this man, okay? But he says, I didn't heal him. This man was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says, the stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone to the building of this huge house of the Lord, this huge where each one of us is a stone, as it talks about, I think in First Corinthians, that we are each a, a stone fitted into this house. Anyway, so I've even talked about that, about the pyramid, that the cornerstone is actually one, it's actually the first one that's placed in the very, very middle, and that we all surround that. So you might check out my video on the pyramids and the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. No one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. This gives all new meaning to so much of the word. I want you to read the, read the word in the light of this knowledge. Um, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come. And unto him shall the gathering of the people be. And now that we know that the he, he transplanted into the British Isles, I think that some of us very likely are part of the lost tribe of Israel. One of the part of the 10 lost tribes of Israel. It would be very interesting to be able to find that out either way, whether we are or not, we are, whether we're adopted into the family or whether we're, you know, blood family, either way, we're one big family. That's the ultimate reality, but this opens up so much scripture. So we see, this is the, was the Lord's plan to remove it from um, 
where it had been abused and then it was every time he's having to remove it if it's being abused and now it's being abused obviously in England and he is it appears transplanting it to this um, this new day where we're going to have true freedom and true justice where his word is going to fill the earth as I've told you so many times that the earth will be filled with the knowledge knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea and I sure hope that I'm one of the tribes of Dan either way I'm just glad to be in the family um but I think that is a very amazing study I'm going to put several links below in case you want to research more of this and uh, and just see how you know the Lord had this great plan even though we uh whoever is part of the tribes of israel we might have forgotten our heritage that he has written his laws on our hearts so that we have been drawn back to him whatever our whatever our lineage because the flesh profits nothing as the bible says it's all a matter of is is his word written on your heart um I just wanted to share this with you guys and um, there'll be more as I learn more, but I wanted you to see this, uh, this great truth. Let's pray. Thank you so much, Lord, that you are revealing all these truths to us in this day and what we had forgotten, what, what, what had been hidden from us, what um, through a variety of reasons you maybe intended for us to, to not know that we would, those of us who are part of the lost tribes, whoever it is, that, that they wouldn't know maybe that was maybe to keep us out of danger. It's all up to you, Lord, how your reasoning, uh, because everything you do is perfect. We praise you, Lord, because everything you do is perfect. And you keep all of your promises. You've certainly done everything as exactly as you had promised to do and, and you will do. Uh, we thank you that we're living in this day when these, these things are being revealed. No doubt this is the day of the great revelation. We praise you, Lord, that uh, we are going to see the fulfillment of all these promises. And uh, we're just so ready for you, uh, Lord Jesus, to reveal yourself, for us to see you uh, with our own eyes and for you to, 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 um, to rule this world and righteousness and for there to be peace that takes over this world. Um, we just ask that you would, until we see that all come to fulfillment, we ask you to help us to be faithful just as you are in, in fulfilling the roles that you have given for each one of us to play. And uh, I pray you just give us that courage and Lord, I thank you for this truth that you revealed because this really helps us to um, be encouraged and know that this is uh, no doubt going to happen, that uh, you know the end from the beginning and that you are the alpha and the omega. You complete, you're faithful to complete everything in your word. We, we trust you. We believe you. Um, we just ask for the strength and ask for the strength for all those who are fighting the good fight, uh, that we would have the courage to, to know where to fight in the battle and what to say, what to do. We pray that others will wake up, oh Lord. We pray right now that you will uh, silence those lying lips, that, that uh, people will come out of the stupor and they'll realize that this is your great day and that, uh, that, that you're lying against our president and uh, that, that this is the day when when those who've been truly doing evil and have been in lockstep together, that they are, their whole kingdom is 
being crushed by this stone. We thank you, Lord, that um, all this evil was going to be washed away. That, as you say in your word, we'll look for them. We won't be able to find them. We thank you, Lord. We're going to live in peace and prosperity and health. Uh, just, we just thank you so much um, for what you're teaching us. Continue to teach us, Lord. Help us to walk in your ways uh, because we desperately need your, your presence. We need you to go before us. And uh, we trust that you will. And we pray all these things in your great name, Jesus. Amen. All right, guys. I love you guys. Hope you had fun and I will talk to you later.
Now, this verse came to my mind. I wanted to share it with you. Do you remember? Do you remember? Let me just take you first.
You know, suddenly when you put the historical research that you have in your book, The Missing Links, and you couple the cuneiform... We're going to start our search for the lost tribes where they were last reported to be located. That is in ancient Assyria and Media. Now, this is in northern modern Iraq and Iran. Our first clue to the ultimate fate of the lost tribes was found by the archaeologists in excavating the Assyrian Royal Library at Nineveh. That is in the ruins of the palace of uh, Sargon II. They were in the form of cuneiform tablets, such as you see here. These were actually uncovered over a century ago, translated in 1930 by Professor Waterman of the University of Michigan. But their relevance to Israel was completely overlooked. This was because they were in complete disorder among some other 1,400 other texts, and no Israel words or names appeared. One tablet, dated 707 B.C., referred to a land called Gumir, which was occupied by people called Gumira or Gimera. Now, this was a very area the Israelites had been placed just 14 years previously. Gamir, we believe, is evidently a corruption of Gomri, the Assyrian name for Israel, formed by the inversion of the final syllable, I-R, to R, I should say R-I, to I-R. Such inversions are very common in Assyrian writings. These tablets were actually spy reports sent to the Assyrian king from a frontier post, the king being that time was Sargon. These reports covered a large period of time. That's fascinating. Now, these reports, what did they say? Well, among other things, they reported that the exiled Israelites were not slaves. They were actually freemen. Had their own homes, they had cities, towns, uh, engaged in various activities. They had agriculture, manufacture. Would you believe they even had their own standing army? Now, this is, sounds strange, but consider the fact why were the Israelites in Assyria? Now, Assyria in the past, any time they occupied, I should say, subjected an area, they merely sent their overseers there to extract a tribute and so on. But with the Israelites, this is an ex exception. They brought these men up to Assyria to act as buffers around the borders of the country. In other words, these, evidently they were fierce fighters in those days. Well, what do you mean, buffers? Well, for instance, any outside invasion coming directed toward Assyria, they'd have to penetrate first through the Israelite lines. That means the Israelites would have to fight for their lives, either repulse the enemy or at least, uh, you might say, weaken them before they got to Assyria proper. Now, we can prove this because uh, one series of tablets uh, reported the invasion of Uratu, the king of Uratu, came against Assyria, and they had to penetrate first through the Israelites. Now, one of the tablets makes it very clear the Israelites put up resistance, they fought, actually repulsed the armies, and then turned around and invaded Uratu in, in exchange. In fact, they not only uh, captured or killed, see, all their army commanders even sacked the country. Archaeologists had known for years the uh, capital of Sar uh, Uratu had been sacked and destroyed. They never knew who did it. Now the tablets for the first time reveal these were Israelites that did it. It's fascinating. You know, it makes sense, too, that uh, they would set them there because... In other words, if there's an invading army, they're going to have to come through their land, so they've got to defend their own land that they're working, their families, and that type of thing. That's interesting. Another 